Welcome back to the Profit Your Knowledge podcast. Today's guest is Andrew Griffiths, and he is best known for his 14 best-selling books written over the last 25 years. He is an entrepreneurial futurist, which we're going to get into in just a little bit, but he loves to share his advice, observations, and uh, personal experience to help business owners around the world create successful, future-proofed businesses across every industry imaginable. And that's what we're talking about today is the principles behind future proofing. So how are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me on the show. Always, always good to have an opportunity to talk about stuff like this, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is an important conversation. You're actually the first person I've had on the podcast, uh, I can confidently say, who has talked about future-proofing the business. Um, so this specific topic. So I'm really excited about diving into this newer topic. So, right. yeah. Beautiful. Um, tell me, Andrew, a little bit about the backstory. What made you decide to one, become an entrepreneur and two, to get, like, how did you kind of get to where you are now and realize that this is my thing, sharing my knowledge around future proofing businesses um, is your thing? I think uh, like everyone, the, the, probably the path to get here is not the path that I would have expected um, in some respects. And I've got the new feature now I haven't turned off yet. So we get thumbs up in my screen. Uh, you I have like to uh, get me for that. Yeah, I know it's kind of cool, but I need to turn it off at times. Um, but uh, the reality was I, I bought my first business when I was 17 and uh, and I never really had an entrepreneurial kind of bent. And in fact, I had a really kind of difficult childhood. I grew up as an orphan, had a lot of, you know, issues around, you know, abuse and neglect as a kid. But I just kind of ended up in a business at the age of 17, which is 40 years ago ish now. And, uh, and I, I bought a dive shop of all things. And I just... I don't know. I think it was the first time in my short life then that I found meaning and purpose. And I love this concept of I have something, someone comes and buys it. I They become a customer and come back. And, uh, and the entrepreneurial kind of seed was sown. Nurture or nature, I got no idea, but I had no no uh, entrepreneurial role models in my life. So I, I think it's a genetic thing somewhere in there. <laughs> Uh, I did a range of other things. I'm a commercial diver by trade, um, but I, you know, taught bush survival skills, sold encyclopedias door to door, did all kinds of different things over the years. Um, but about 25 years ago, I was running a marketing company, and uh, and I wrote a book, 101 Ways to Market Your Business. It was a really simple idea. It was really written for those small businesses that just didn't really understand marketing, and they just wanted to get more customers. They didn't want to get a, a university degree in marketing. They wanted a book that they could open up at any page, and it said, "Do this now," and uh, and it was just really, really successful. I, I cringe a bit now because I look at it and go and go, you know, like it, it's so, it's old. So I've got things like fax campaigns and um, letterbox drops, and you know, all that kind of jazz in it. But it was really, really effective, and 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 because it was so successful, my publishers said, "Hey, you want to write another book, another book," and so I just kept writing books. And, uh, and hence now, as you mentioned, 14, and I'm just starting number 15 now. But I, along the way, I, I think I, I felt the pressure of being the guy that have to have all the answers and that, oh, my God, you know, like I, I'm the expert. I'm getting now asked to speak at events as the marketing expert and this expert. And I found that really kind of difficult. You know, I, I don't have any marketing qualifications. I don't have any business qualifications. All my stuff is street smart, Sesame Street smart, some people might say. But but what I figured out was 
I'm actually really good at teaching people what it is that I figured out to do that if they apply it, it'll work for them. And and that concept. So I never say I've got all the answers, but I say, hey, look, this has worked really well for me. It might work for you. And that's then applied into really, I, I teach people to write books. I teach people to be a speaker. I teach people how to build better businesses. And that that's how my the future-proofing side of things evolved. I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years and I've gone through all of the ups and downs and all of that. You know, we're going through another one now. And I've learned what it takes to survive in business. And and even more than survive is like, you know, turn these down times into really, you know, positive times. So um, so so that's a really a bridged version of it. Now, you know, I, I do a lot of work around this, you know, for all types of businesses, industries, et cetera. And uh, and I'm very fortunate to get to travel the planet speaking about this as a topic and uh and and helping um people to uh to become future proofed yeah that's rad man i really like the uh <laughs> the uh the idea of how you just kind of like wanted to buy a dive shop i'm curious why why did you buy a dive shop what is the the mini story within that i had a, a motive I, with it of just like why a dive shop <laughs> i had a fantasy about you know being a marine biologist you know, and I, and I had this vision that I'd be riding whales, you know, through the Pacific Ocean or something like that. And then I met a few marine biologists and I did a work experience thing. And, and I realized I'd be spending 95% of my time in a laboratory looking at, you know, the gonads <laughs> of blowfish. And um, and I went, what I really wanted to do was to dive. And uh, and and I had learned to dive um, and I was starting to get some commercial dive qualifications. And I was a groupie at the local dive shop that was run by this crazy Canadian guy. And uh, and he just said, look, man, you want to buy this dive shop? I want out. And uh, it was in the late 80s and you could walk into the bank in Australia and pretty much anywhere then and say, look, I want to. It wasn't much. It was I think it was 30 grand or 40 grand or something. And I walked out with a check. You know, like nowadays, of course, it, it just wouldn't be so easy. At so, seventeen, oh, though, that's like the crazy part. You're seventeen, and, and, and I don't think I don't think I realise the significance of it. And and I was terrible at running a business. Don't get me wrong. Don't think for a second that this was you know, like the the founding of Apple or it was a disaster for the first few years. But then I got my act together, and I and I got when it got serious enough that I was really facing bankruptcy. That's when I kind of went, okay, I need to learn how to run a business, and I need. To listen and I need to get advice and I need to, you know, I, I just needed to get a whole lot smarter. But I think I learned more from that business than I've learned from any other business since, uh, w- without a doubt, actually. Yeah, that's cool. And then did, what, what happened with that, just since we're on the topic, is did you, um, because you built multiple different businesses, you moved into like building a marketing firm and that sort of stuff. Did yep. you build this business up to a certain amount of success and then decide to sell it? Uh, and I, then I, that started the marketing or what was the story there? I, I did, but it but it ended up having not such a good end because I bought in a business partner, one of those lessons that we all learned. And uh, and I literally had gone away for a few weeks and we was, had signed the deal, but we hadn't swapped cash or hadn't given me the cash and he worked for me. And when I came back, the dive shop was gone. Um, so it was literally everything. He'd taken everything in a truck in the middle of the night. Jeez. And I, and I, um, it was uh, my girlfriend at the time had rung me. I'd been out in the middle of the ocean on a sailing trip and I just got back into port and she said, where, you know, the dive shop's gone. And I'm going, what do you mean the dive shop's gone? She said, everything is gone. The day after you left this guy, Julian had this huge sale, bought all this extra gear, told everyone that I was away on holidays. And Andrew said, have a big sale, sold everything. Literally, he unbolted the kitchen sink in this dive shop. And it was really kicking ass. It was really going well at that stage. We turned it around. I turned it around and it was a great business. And then I, 
all of a sudden I was faced with this, you know, I had no money. He'd emptied the bank accounts, um, all this kind of, you know, a, a kind of one of those terrible stories that you hear in business, but I had to pay back all the money. I was in debt for it. And uh, um, just, you know, it, it didn't end well, but, but I, learned a great deal from it. And I'm yeah. grateful for that as an experience. Amazingly grateful. How for are you it. feeling when, when you got that message and when you found out about it? I, I, initially, I just couldn't quite comprehend it. He's a really nice guy. And, um, and you know, I wouldn't have been going into business with him if he wasn't. But then when I turned up, and it was about a thousand kilometer trip back from where the boat came into where I had to go back to Sydney. And it's like, I literally walked into the dive shop and it was literally empty not a thing on the walls, like tumbleweed going across the floor. And I'm just, I couldn't believe it. I've gone to the police, you know, is this theft? But it wasn't because we'd signed a contract. It was a commercial dispute. Couldn't even be, you know, there was no criminal charging in there. It was all um, mm. commercial. So that meant I had to sue him, but I didn't have any money then because he'd taken all the money. You know, like it was, it was a disaster. And, uh, and, I, and I spoke to him, I tracked him down because he disappeared. And I said, why, why did you do this? And he said, it's just business, man. It's just wow. business. And I went, really? Is it though? <laughs> what, what, really? It's just, okay. Like, but, you know, you got to move on. That's a, that's a big lesson. Like, I got really bitter and twisted. I wanted him dead. You know, I was. Understandable. I, I, you know, like I was trying to save the money up to get him killed. I, you know, like whatever I could. <laughs> and I just realized that that it was eating me up. It was destroying me. Uh, and I, I had to let go. That was a that was a lesson that he taught me out of that couple of lessons. But the biggest lesson was you got to you got to get over stuff that happens in business quickly mm -hmm. and move on because otherwise that can that can define you. Like I could have become so bitter and twisted and and I was at that stage, but I could have carried that with me for the rest of my life about he done me wrong. He did, you know. People do what they do. You, you know, you've got to move on. And in business, you're going to do stuff. Everyone who's had a business partner has got a bad story to share. You know, everyone's been through that in one shape or form if they've had a partner. Um, but, I, but, I, but I did learn to let go of stuff quickly and move on because it's actually not the partner stuff that sends you broke. It's the... It's the misery, the pity party, the you know, the depression, the not doing anything. And it's what I had to do as I had to get on with life. Um, but yeah, I, I do laugh about it now. It's it's so absurd and ridiculous that, that you kind of you gotta laugh. So yeah. well, I think it, it is important because there's like there's lessons to be learned in times like that. And even if you don't have a business partner, I mean, I've made investments in different mentors and it's like put me in a really bad situation. It left me high and dry with like nothing mm. to really keep from it not even like a template like literally nothing um yep. and they promised me these like huge i made a youtube video about this but they are telling the whole story but they promised me like big results you know and then i was doing what they were saying diligently and then it didn't work and then i was like i can't make these monthly payments anymore because you said like you already knew i didn't have a lot going into it and you promised me this big stuff and then they just cut me off and it's like bro i spent 11 grand which was actually my dad's money at the time because he was <laughs> investing in me and that didn't go well and uh i had to pay him back you know but it's like those times being an entrepreneur if it is a business partner or you make a, an investment it it doesn't go well like it is gambling in a way because i mean 
it, it takes, I think going through times like that gives you a better sense of intuition. So when you do make an investment in, or you, you work with a business partner, if you do in the future, you know, like different things to look for. And it's just something that you have ingrained in yourself, but it's, it's the, the fact that you were successful after the fact that I was able to pay my dad back. Um, after the fact, because we're both put in this situation where it's like the pity party of I, this sucks. I'm so mad. Why is this happening to me? Et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, all we can do is fix the problem. You know, it's like, we, we can make more money and find a way to do that and then pay them back. And I think that, that, that like realization and then making the more money to pay the person back or to get yourself back on your feet, that makes you such a bigger person that like no book is going to teach you. It's just from personal experience. I agree. And you're right. You know, it's a really great point is that no matter what, there's no university of small business that's got all the answers. And it's like intuitively, you know, so much like I know intuitively, I've had three business partners, partnerships, they've all ended badly for different reasons, you know, and it's I knew when I was going into them that they were they don't do it. My intuition was screaming, but you intellectualize it. You go, yeah, but it'd be good for the business or I could use the cash or they'll bring this or whatever. Um, and it's like, okay, well, maybe I should listen to my intuition a little bit more. Uh, you know, may, maybe it's there. But but you are so right as well that that is what makes us as entrepreneurs is that we 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 learn, we overcome, we 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 and that's about future-proofing, ironically, you know, too, James, that if you keep making the same mistake, like I had to have three partners to realize that maybe I shouldn't have business partners, <laughs> maybe I'm the problem, um, you know, then 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 that's, you know, that's what I, I need to 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 learn. And, and that adapt, evolve and, and, you know, doing all that stuff has to be from learning, you know, and it's like, it's just, you know, you can get really bitter about it and go, oh my God, I've wasted all this money. Or I just look at it all as that's my that's the cost of the investment for me to learn. So if I lost a hundred grand now, I turn around and go, that's a hundred grand invested in my future, and that's a great investment. Mm. And and I learned, have really learned to look at it in that respect, not to be flippant about it, not to be like, oh my, how great that I've lost a hundred grand or whatever, but more so, you know what, that hurt but I've got a great opportunity to learn something really, really significant about that. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's a really important part of that process um, as an entrepreneur is growing, adapting and evolving, which can sound like a cliche, but if you keep making the same mistakes, well, you know, you, that's, that's your future is kind of mapped out. You know, you've got to get smarter at it. And sometimes we only get smarter when it hurts. And, uh, and, and that's the lesson that, you know, I've taken out of that kind of stuff as well. All the bad stuff that's happened has made me far better and far more successful as a result of it without becoming bitter and twisted about it, without being blaming the world, you know, still making sure I have a great attitude and a positive attitude. Yeah. Yeah. That's not easy. It's, that's something, unfortunately for the listener, you're going to have to go through, uh, in your own way at some point, everybody's going to do it at some point. So hopefully exactly. it happens to you earlier, honestly, and that you stick with it long enough. But, um, yeah, Andrew, so. I'm sorry, I was going to say, I do think it's easier if it happens earlier in some respects. Like, yeah. you know, I was young when I really had that biggest issue with the dive shop. Uh, you know, probably, you know, I was 20-ish by that stage. And it was like, there's not much you really can't recover from at that stage. Mm. I'd find it hard if I was, you know, 55, 60 or something, and I've invested all of my retirement money into a business and I'm mm. learning all those lessons then, that'd be tough. And I do encounter quite a few people at that space because, doesn't matter how successful you've been in a corporate environment, doesn't mean that translates to the entrepreneurial world. And I think people kind of forget that. True. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So you, um, you talk a lot about, you know, future proofing of a business. Can you give me just like real quick a definition of what is future proofing for the listener? Yeah, great. The, the easiest way to look at it is like evolution. So, so if you look at how animals evolve, you know, um, how that kind of works, what it's really about, it's, it's about how we adapt and change as the environment changes so that we're better able to survive. You know, so, uh, you know, a bird on an island learns how to, how to, how to, you know, its beak changes shape so that it can eat a different seed. There's lots more of those seeds on there. That's that particular bird thrives. The other birds don't. And I'm a frustrated zoologist. So for me, the animal analogies always work. Um, it's like that in business as well. Being future-proofed for me is really about being able to adapt and evolve so that whatever the new business environment is, we're better able to survive in that. We're better able to thrive in that new environment. And, and that's really the key, if, if that makes sense, that kind of simplistic kind of description. Yeah, so it's adaptability. It's building your business to where it, it can be adaptable and have a sort of ebb and flow with no matter what gets thrown at it, it's future-proofed. That does make sense. It is, but, but most importantly, it's about being proactive about being future-proofed, mm. not, not waiting for a situation to change and then we try and adapt to survive in it. You know, I think we, we can know, like, you know, if we're entering a tough time financially, economically, globally or whatever, there's stuff that you can do to make sure that you survive it. You know, mm. there's, um, you know, when, whenever, you know, whatever might happen, there are certain things we know that are going to happen that we can plan for, we can prepare for, we can get ready for. And that's a bit about future proofing as well. Yeah. Can you tell me, I mean, you work with a lot of different businesses and, you know, have been for a long time. Can you tell me um, an example uh, of with COVID it, where something is totally unexpected and people were like, whoa, that came out of left field, like whole pandemic. Like when's that happened in history? You know, since before this, it was like the Mexican flu or something like that. It was some way back. Incredible. Um, so when something like that happens, how do, I mean, can you, I guess, can you tell me a story of maybe like a business who did well, uh, or even one who didn't really do well and kind of lessons learned from that, that you may have been working with, or even with yourself, um, in terms of future proofing was something just that you don't think is going to happen. Cause you said you do have to be proactive, but like, we can't realistically plan for everything. Correct. We can't plan for everything. It's a, it, and so, you know, COVID was such an anomaly, right? It was like, you know, I'd certainly never experienced anything like that in my life, but 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 any kind of crisis or, or major issue, whether it's a global financial crisis, whether it's COVID, whether it's 9-11, you know, wh whatever the actual issue is, you know, there's certain certain characteristics that always, you know, play out the same. The first thing is the challenge is cash. You know, businesses dry up they, they, or they think they've got 100 grand cash in the bank. But the bank says, well, we're changing the rules now. You've actually only got 20, you know, because we're, you know, it's a risky environment. Um, customers change what they need. You know, they become fear-based. And all of a sudden, you know, it, we're, we're not adapting and evolving or changing our message quickly enough. So, you know, they're looking, they look for someone else that can. So, so what I'm saying, whatever the issue is, you know, the characteristics for dealing with it are often very much the same. So when COVID came along, you're right, you know, we all saw, you know, the, the dreaded word here um, was pivot. I think it was all around the world. You know, we all got tired of hearing the pivot word. But I certainly saw and work with a lot of companies, a lot of businesses then that were really proactive and realized that they had to take action fast. And that was the real key. We don't know how long this is going to last for. We don't know really what it's going to, 
you know the the you know it's all unknown territory is what it is so so businesses really had to number one shore up their finances to be able to say like how much uh, of capacity have we got what big decisions do we need to make quickly so a lot of that was stop spending limit hiring anyone wants to retire retire now like really cut costs without being you know, too brutal about it, but really get on top of your dough um, and make sure where you're exposed. Now, that's whether you run a hot dog stand on the corner or whether you run IBM, you know, or Apple or whatever. Everyone kind of had to, you know, really take a breath. Um, and I saw that, you know, with businesses, you know, as well, you know, talk to suppliers, talk to landlords, talk to whoever it might have been. And, uh, and so there was a lot of reaction, but then the most important part came for the Adapt and Evolve was they had to stay deeply connected to their clients, their customers, to make sure that they were giving their customers what they really needed, you know, and so we, you know, we, we saw, um, you know, some really cool adaptions from, you know, my local bakery, um, then just, just turned really smartly into doing simple things like making take-home packages. You know, you could buy jars of yeast, um, sourdough starter, make your own bread at home, online cooking classes, um, you know, hairdressing salons were doing, you know, you could get a kit sent home um, or delivered to your house and, and they would do a, a, a Zoom session to talk you through doing your own, um, you know, colouring or whatever it is. It brought out amazing innovation. We saw the gin companies. I'm not sure if it was the same in the States, I'm assuming. So gin is huge in Australia at the moment mm -hmm. uh, for some strange reason. Every gin manufacturer became a, a hand sanitizer, you know, manufacturer. Oh, yeah. It, it was an extraordinary and, you know, amazing the way that that kind of worked. So, so the adaption changed. The problem was those businesses, it just froze. And this is always the problem. You know, holy crap, the, the economy's died. This has happened. We, we do nothing but wait and see. And while they're waiting and seeing, those other businesses are innovating, adapting, evolving, try new products because one of the great things james that happens in these uncertain times consumers or your clients are much more receptive to new they're much more we want new products or new services or a new way of doing business or new 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 because it's a little bit uncertain and you know we're kind of shaking that up a little bit it's very it's very interesting how that kind of works so there's that's an opportunity that came out of that. So we saw some businesses that leapt on that, communicated, tell us what you need. Um, the gin manufacturers are a great example. Uh, you know, while people were drinking a lot more gin during COVID, but there was this huge demand for hand sanitizer all of a sudden that for them is an easy process, cost effective. They had the staff, it, you know, it, they could really do that. The pivoting thing was was awesome. Then you've got places like in a, in um, in Europe, you know, where airports that weren't getting used were being turned into drive-in theatres, so that people could actually sit in the car, stay COVID safe, but they had these huge spaces, these huge areas that they could, you know, project a screen off the side of a building and get people out and about doing stuff. You know, not really as a money-making venture, but actually as a goodwill venture more than anything else. So uh, again. That to me, as an entrepreneur or futurist, is one of the most extraordinary things because 
out of these sheer um, dramatic changes, that's when incredible companies are born. We see this boom. Out of the GFC was when we saw the Ubers of the world arrive. We saw the Canvas of the world arrive. We saw these amazing businesses grow out of the toughest of economic times. Same happened during COVID. In 10 years, there'll be the COVID companies that have all appeared that were, were bought about in really tough conditions. You know, the world was uncertain. People made stuff that everyone wanted and they built empires out of it. It's, it's a fascinating kind of opportunity. Yeah, no, I love the, uh, the, uh, the sense of adaptability. It's very, very important. And the examples you shared, like gin, for example, it's a botanical, you know, botanical yeah. gin. It, it's like floral. So it makes total sense. I feel like whiskey wouldn't do the same thing as, or like vodka, you're like, it just smells like alcohol, it's, you know? But, I know, like I'm rubbing whiskey on my hands kind of right, thing. It's not gonna do, but gin, that's, that is, yeah, it's really interesting. And I do remember seeing those like different gins as hand sanitizers, like, oh, it's pretty, like Hendrix, I think, maybe yeah, did yeah. or something, so. Probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. No, it is, that's really important, go ahead. I was just going to say, though, too, a lot of that was, again, this culture and this philosophy. And that's this, to me, is that future proofing kind of concept is is not really about just getting through this issue at hand. That's what normally drives it, though, right? We're at a crossroad of some sort. Again, COVID, GFC, whatever the, the issue may be. Um, but it, it's really a philosophy. And, and it's really this concept of learning, unlearn and relearn all the time. Um, it's about being tightly connected to our customers to say, well, what do they really need so that we stay relevant? Because, you know, once you lose relevance, you never get it back. You know, we, we've seen that, you know, like, I mean, it's an old story and I, I know everyone's heard of it, but you look at Blockbuster, you know, um, you know, the, the, the video stores of the world, um, you know, and, and you kind of go like, why, why didn't they become Netflix? You know, like, you know, they didn't do the adaption and the evolution. And there's hundreds of those different kind of stories. And, and, and you look at it and just kind of go, well, it, it's a game because they didn't stay relevant with their, their customers. And that's why one of the most critical things about future-proofing is you've got to be tight with your customers. And I mean really tight. You, you've got to be so connected to them that you're constantly talking to them about their issues, their needs, their challenges, what they want, what they don't want so that you can give them their next product, their next service, their next whatever it might be. And I've got a really great example of that. For me, in what I do, like I, I do coaching and all kinds of stuff and retreats and things. The first thing I do when I'm coming up with a new product is I, I post about it on my socials to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Tell me what your thoughts are. Now, I don't spend another minute of time developing it unless I get 50 or 100 people go, yeah, that's a great idea. We're interested in that. Then I do the next stage of putting a bit of resource, maybe getting a brand done, think a little bit about it. Okay, this is what it's looking like now. What do you think? And and I, by the time I get to launching a program of some sort, there's no risk. There's no, like, because I've stopped if the interest level has dropped off, the price is prohibitive or whatever it is. I think we need to do that, all of us, regardless of what our business is. Uh, I remember... Um, I was uh, walking past a store. Um, I, I live in Hobart in Australia, which is in Tasmania. And I was walking past a bakery again. Seems it's a lot of stuff around food for me, um, <laughs> which which may be obvious. Um, but but they were uh, there was a line out the front, and there's always a line out the front of this bakery. It's very very good. But the the owner of the bakery is walking up and down with some different cakes and biscuits and things, 
testing them to say, hey, we're thinking about making these. Give us your feedback for everyone standing in the queue. So you're standing in the queue for 15 or 20 minutes and you're getting something free, but you're also, that is market research. It sounds such a simple thing to do, but I, but I tell you, it's such a smart thing to do as well. That little, you know, that, that connectivity, your customers matter. Whereas often we go, hey, I think I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to go and find someone to buy it or I hope my existing customers want it. And all too often, if we get it wrong, it can often be the death knell for a business. Mm -hmm. so, so the adapt and evolve and stay relevant really just means stay close, stay tight, stay connected, stay engaged with your audience and if you're, your customers. And if you do that, they'll tell you what they want if you're prepared to listen. Yeah, no, this is huge. This is like really big in the software world that, I mean, I help people, you know, build like online courses and evergreen systems to sell those passively and stuff. And um, it's a huge thing that I've learned and I wish I knew earlier about creating a minimum viable products or MVPs. And yep, exactly. I mean, doing what you said, you know, initially of I did that recently, actually, I want to create a new, um, a new program. And I had two different ideas. And I've, I've talked to some people and they were like, yeah, those sound cool. So I just messaged my email list of like, hey, which one of these, I'm thinking about building a new product in this next year, which one do you think sounds more intriguing? And I said, here's this one, here's this one. Just reply with A or B and just let me know, or one or two. And, and then they messaged back and the clear winner was number two. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was just like, cool, that's awesome. And the, the, you, you can start going deeper into it. And I think the cool thing too about building a minimum viable product, which someone doesn't understand, it's an early basic version of a product um, that you just put out as kind of like testers, but it can be adapted and improved in the future based on customer feedback. And that's yeah. the important thing. So it's really big in the software industry with testing tech, um, many different stories related to that. Uh, instead of putting all this funding and money and stuff into something and then it doesn't sell, you're like, oh my gosh, and it's the same thing with building digital products or this kind of stuff, especially like the whole automated system. And there's a lot to it, you know? Um, but yeah, it's so big. And then just to, like, even when you said um, building a program, uh, and then like letting people know as you're building it, like if you get the idea and you get feedback on that of like, yeah, this is a good idea. Cool. Hey, I made the outline of it. Here's stuff I'm going to talk about. Do you like this? And people are like, yes, that's so awesome. Not only are you getting feedback on what they want, but they're also seeing the progression and building of this. And you can give them a sneak peek of one of the lessons. By the time you announce it, they know about the program and they know what's entailed in the value there. And they're going to be like, I want it, you know, I'm ready. And they're already pre-sold. Exactly. It's it's like you're right, letting people into your business the behind the scenes of how you do what you do. And that's what people want these days, right? How you develop stuff. That's that's interesting, how your business works. I mean, that, that was another extraordinary thing that I saw during COVID a lot was that the, the insight into how our business actually operates. Show people, whether it's a farm that's making, you know, dairy products or growing something or whether it's a... Um, you know, even a medical practice, just this is a day in the life of, of how we operate and what we do, you know, et cetera. That's, that's another thing that, again, just, you know what it is? It's a concept called customer proximity. And, and, and um, that was something, again, I, I did some work, interestingly enough, with a big software, big-ish, big for Australia, um, a software company. Um, and they, they were talking to me that they realized that they were a transaction, and, and they realize that because they're a transaction, that that's that's a risk. They want it to be an experience, you know, uh, with this. And it's, it's an accounting software kind of organization. And, uh, you know, it's big. And they've got a thousand staff and, you know, it, it's, it's okay. But it's like they saw the vulnerability of that. 
And so, so we introduced this concept of customer proximity, and that's the closeness of you to your customer. And what they realized was their customers were quite a long way from them because it was a transaction, and they had to work out how to bring the customer tighter. And so they had to, they weren't going to do that with software. They had to look at other ways to build the relationship. So they started saying, well, we've got to make us an experience, which means that because you're one of our customers, we do all this other stuff, which is of great value to you. Nothing to do with your software, nothing to do with the how to use the software, but everything to do with helping you grow your business. So we started having expert forums. They started sending out, they've got thousands of clients buying books and sending them to their clients, um, putting on events for their clients, you know, standard kind of stuff, but really revolutionary for them as a software developer. You know, that was very much around, you know, making sure it worked and having great, you know, customer experience and user interface stuff. And rah, rah, rah. this was an you know, unbelievable result in terms of loyalty, recommendations, referrals, word of mouth. You know, what, what that translated to them for a business was phenomenal. The hard part was to shift that in the culture internally to get the entire organization on board with the importance of bringing the customers closer you know, making that proximity tight. Um, and and that's, that's letting people into our business as a part of that, getting them involved in the process as we develop products. Um, you know, teaching them even about the stuff that we get wrong. You know, when we see businesses bugger up and make terrible mistakes, how we handle that is a great way to, to build customer loyalty and to build, you know, customer connection. But, but we you know, businesses aren't always very good at handling it when they get wrong, where they feel if I tell the world and I admit that I got it wrong, that it'll make us look bad. In fact, it'll probably make you look good if, you, if you're if you honest and open. We're used to, to companies getting it wrong. You know, showcase that side of things there. So a lot of the work that I do, James, you know, when we're talking about future proofing is this kind of stuff. You know, teach about customer proximity. How do you bring the customer closer? How, how, do, you, how do you adapt and evolve? You know, how do you build community? How do you charge what you're worth so that your business is more profitable rather than, you know, if you're the cheapest, the minute there's a hiccup, you're buggered again. You know, like the, the businesses that go broke in the first month of COVID are those who are the cheapest, always, because there's no profit margin. There's no fat in the business. There's no re financial resilience in the business. And, uh, and I try and get people to go to the other end of the scale to be the most expensive, which is a whole other conversation, but it's a part of being future-proof. There are businesses that I've worked with that even if they were fully booked, every you know available slot, they would not make money. And they just didn't know that. They didn't know their numbers. They didn't know their sums. And I would just have one look at their their PL or their, their you know their balance sheet or whatever it is and say, you, you know, you, do you realize that you're never going to make money charging what you're charging? Right. And, you know, you know, like and, and they're blown away by that. Uh -huh. But I said, but how you. And there's not enough discussion about profitability in business these days. There's a lot of talk about making funnels, building this, doing million dollar this, blah, blah, blah. The problem is, oh, that's great. But are you making money? And, uh, and and that's the conversation that isn't being had as much as it should be, in my view. In Australia, financial resilience in small business is a big issue, really big issue. So, and I'm assuming it's probably the same in the States. I know it is in the UK. I think, I think that's uh, a worldwide issue. <laughs> very much. You yeah. know, it, 
scares me, you know, like we talk about a lot of people, you know, in jobs that live pay packet to pay packet, you know, same with small business owners, a lot of small business owners are week to week, you know, and, and that's, that's a concern considering everything else you've got to do in your business, all the pressure, all the stress, all the responsibility that's on your shoulders. So, you know, that's, that's why I'm very passionate about trying to encourage people to charge what they're worth. Mm-hmm. So hard one, hard yeah. one necessary right on man uh we're gonna start to wrap up here but i do want to ask you andrew where can people learn more about you and get connected sure Uh, facebook is easy andrew griffiths i'm very very easy to find you can google me linkedin join me on linkedin uh instagram um all all those places my books the latest ones on amazon of course um and you know all the other places it's on audible as well um if anyone does want to know a little bit more about that you know, charging what they're worth, but love, love any of your listeners to connect, reach out. I'm easy to, easy to track down. Uh, and if you're in Hobart, look me up and I'll have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Go to the local bakery, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, right on. Thank you, Andrew. So for the listener, we talked uh, a, a lot about different ideas and I think just uh, being able to be adaptive you know, is, is a big one that we, we talked about. Obviously you have to listen to the whole episode to remember all the juicy nuggets that came from this. Um, but I mean, I think that that's just such a necessary skill and keep keeping track of your finances and all that stuff too. Cause that's, that's big with the profitability aspect. Um, there's a lot of things that you can learn just from staying in the game, you know, and it's okay to fail. In fact, as you heard, we talked about that's like the biggest way to learn. And the sooner you can make those big mistakes, uh, the better, cause, uh, you can be put in a really bad situation later on in life, which was pretty interesting. And I totally find true. So if you're young and you're starting a business or you're thinking about it, just get into it. You know, I, I got in when I was 22, when I first started and, um, I'm really grateful that I did. People thought I was crazy, but like Andrew started when he was 17, just <laughs> walked in and got 30 grand, started a business. So, um, there's a lot of opportunity out there and it's great to have a mentor like Andrew. So you can make sure you stay inside the bumpers while you're building up this business. So biggest things that you do something with all this information. So take what you learned here. Get out there, make something happen. We'll see you in the next one.